Welcome, everyone, to the Happy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jack, lifestyle entrepreneur, professional model slash actor, biohacker, and eco-warrior striving to make a positive impact on this planet. My goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain you while reminding you to enjoy the journey, not just the destination, as you happy hustle for a life of passion and purpose. I am so grateful and humbled to be spending some time together today. Now, let's dive in. What is up, you happy hustlers out there? I hope you are having an amazing day and staying healthy and staying positive and staying home. In this special episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast, I have on my friend, Mr. Ian Stanley, who is one of the highest paid copywriters and sales experts online. He has literally sold over $100 million worth of products and services. And we even break down that number on this episode because I know it seems crazy, but it is legit. Guys, he started his first business at the age of 12, stringing tennis rackets, and recently sold an e-commerce company to one of the fastest growing startups in Canada, and actually wrote a new book, Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman, which we get into some of his best sales tactics in this episode, as well as some of his parody comedy videos that he does online, because he is hilarious, and many of his videos have went viral. We also get into some of his health hacks, his spiritual practices, because he is woke AF, and we also get into some of his relationship and money hacks. You guys are going to dig this episode with Ian. He is super sarcastic and just unapologetically himself. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. Real quick, I just wanted to thank you again for listening to the Happy Hustle podcast, and I wanted to ask you a question because I know it's getting a little crazy out here with this crisis, but do you want to become happier and more balanced? Because if you do, the journey, 10 Days to Becoming a Happy Hustler mini course, is launching next week, and I want you in. I mean, this is going to be an amazing 10-day course where you can actually happy hustle a life you love. Sign up today at thehappyhustle.com and get your spot quick because I'm only opening it up to a finite amount of people in this initial go-round because I want to get testimonials and feedback so I'm offering it at the lowest price it'll ever be. Thehappyhustle.com to sign up today. We're going to dive into each of the 10 alignments of being a happy hustler. On day one, we get into persistent personal development. On day two, optimized health. On day three, loving relationships, baby. On day four, purposeful work. We infuse meaning into what you're doing. On day five, we tap into mindful spirituality. On day six, financial abundance, baby. It's all about that paper. On day seven, passionate hobbies, doing what you love and having fun in the process. On day eight, selfless service is giving back to others. On day nine, natural connection, tapping into Pachamama. In day 10, blissful balance, tying it all together. You guys are going to get an inspiring video lesson. You'll get expert takeaways. You'll get actionable resources. And it is all in the process of happy hustling a life you love. Sign up today at thehappyhustle.com. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Now let's get back to this episode. You are live on the Happy Hustle podcast. I got my friend, Mr. Ian Stanley on the mic. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, man. I got to say, you are one hilarious mofo. I watch your videos online. I mean, not only are you an expert copywriter, you're an author, and you've sold over $100 million, which I want to get into to that figure, of products and services on, you know, online selling over the phone but you also are just one funny dude and you make these parody comedy videos knocking these entrepreneurs that everyone is just going crazy for on the internet talk to us a little bit about your your origin story and kind of where'd you where'd you grow up and like how'd you become this this character that now we see online uh yeah it's kind of funny even calling it a character just because that's sort of the running joke amongst my friends and people who know me really well and the internet is nobody really knows what i do it's like the, the sort of running joke and um i mean i guess all the way back at least within the you know context of entrepreneurship and stuff uh i grew up 
um, in California and in England. So my dad's from Liverpool. My mom is from a place called Ventura. And then they live now in a place called Thousand Oaks, which is actually where I'm at right now. Uh, my parents are gone and I'm staying at their house because we think we had some mold issues at my place. I live in like Santa Monica, uh, sort of on the beach there. And so um, <clears throat> I played tennis my whole life. My mom and dad are still number one in the world for their age. Whoa. And uh, yeah, so I played, you know, I started basically when I could walk and hated it pretty much my entire life and was supposed to be Wimbledon from like age three, which made me basically despise the sport. I played in college. I won a national championship and stuff, but I oh, really casual. enjoy it. Well, I don't normally say that. It's just, I suppose. Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to SMU my first year and then I went to UC Santa Cruz. So I went to like one of the most conservative schools in the nation and then like probably the most liberal school in the nation. And so, uh, which is a really interesting experience as somebody who never smoked pot and who didn't the entire time I was there and who was not uh, a hippie to be surrounded by those types of people. Um, it's really good to just be exposed to that. But the, um, basically during that whole time, I mean, I think I had my first business when I was 12. I, well, technically I had my lemonade stand, which, um, I used to crush that. And, <laughs> was that uh, your first hustle? That was one of my first ones. And that's where that was in, in my book. That was part of like, I tell the whole story of how I learned how to sell. We basically, I had upsells. And so most kids were selling lemonade and I was selling lemonade cookies and golf balls. Oh, And so I was, and we would, we were on a street. It would, you know, it's like real estate. It's all location. So we were on a street that combined with a golf course, um, golf path in a rate in a wealthy neighborhood. And so it was the ultimate environment for basically cashing it in. And, um, <laughs> we stole the lemons, you know, we weren't going to pay for those. So we would basically steal lemons. And Great margins on and, stolen lemons. Oh, incredible. That's the thing. <laughs> Profit margins. If you are, you know, I'm not recommending you stealing, but if you are a child, and you can get away with it hundred percent. And then if you can basically, uh, you know, my grandma made the cookies, didn't pay her for any labor. Oh no. Um, Poor granny. They bought all the goods. And then, you know, when you're, when you're selling the cookies too, it's like, you know, Ted who's on the golf course is like, well, I don't know if I need any cookies. I'm like, look, Ted, I don't know if my grandma's going to make any more cookies. Uh, this might be her last batch. Every batch <laughs> might be her last batch. So do you want to be the last person to taste her cookies? And like, all right, well, in that case, you know, and that's when I learned how to sell with urgency and scarcity and, and all that. So, um, I, I strung tennis rackets. That was really my main first business when I was 12, I would string tennis rackets and I'd make 25 bucks a racket and I could do two in an hour pretty easily. And so I was making 50 bucks an hour when I was like 12 and that wasn't every hour, right? It's not like I was working 40 hours a week, Yeah, but that was sort of my first, um, realization that time and money weren't really related and that if I did different stuff than everybody else, I could make more money than everybody else. So that started when I was about 12. And then basically in college and stuff, I, I thought either I'm going to work for myself or I'm going to work for the government. There was no in between. And I was like a hundred percent sure that I was going to join the military, go into special forces. And I wanted to do that. And that was all I cared about. And I almost left after my junior year, and then uh, basically I got a DUI when I was 21. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't swerving. I wasn't an idiot. It was actually in this county, which is the, uh, I think it's the fourth strictest county in the nation. Basically, we don't have crime here. Hmm. So they're like, oh, you're driving and it's after 2 a.m. We're going to pull you over. And so I passed the test, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's what happened. It was meant to happen because it did. But that sort of pulled all the plans out from my life. And hmm. so... Um, and basically it's like a misdemeanor, but you can, you know, you have to get a waiver and you have to wait and all this shit. And so in that time, I, you know, I, I wasn't ever going to have just like a normal job. And so actually it's, it's me either. Funny. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't going to work for me. It was either like, I need the most regimented, you know, put me in the military and no control or, um, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so actually at this counter where I'm sitting right now, this is my parents house, this, uh, this like nice counter. counter it is it's a nice Great counter. counter um this is where i after i graduated college i was uh i was coaching tennis and i was making like 100 bucks an hour um and at 21 or 22 you're like wow this is crazy but i sort of i just saw that it was a ceiling and i had to be present to make money it was like if i wasn't on court i couldn't get paid mm -hmm. so i was like i saw the 35 year old 45 year old guys 
and they were making the same amount of money as I was and they were miserable and they were, if it rained, they didn't get paid. If the kid was being a dick that day, they didn't get paid. Um, and so I was like, well, let's, you know, I, I had already started trying to make money online in college. I actually made some money sports betting and then everything else. Basically I would, <laughs> I would buy a product and then return a product. Is that Corona? That's Corona. Yeah, no, it's just called you good, bro. Do you good? <laughs> I got the Rona. <laughs> Um, that's why we're no, I, uh, no, yeah, exactly. Feel I better, dude. To my computer. Um, I, uh, I basically, no, this is just like three hours straight of talking after the other two calls. And <laughs> I hear you. I'm trying to throw it. Um, but, uh, I, I was trying to make money online and I had a dating business and I was teaching guys how to pick up women. That was my first business. And, um, I sold a couple copies of a book in college and was like, Oh, this is real. And then basically after college, I got what I call my second degree in Netflix and procrastinate. And I was coaching tennis, but I wasn't really doing my stuff. And so that's when I was like, all right, let's just go in on one skill. Cause everybody has, everybody was trying to do all these different things and they were mainly poor. And so I was like, why don't I just do one thing? And so I decided to get good at writing. And the reason I said that is because this is the counter where um, I would hand copy sales letters for an hour every day. And I did that every day for an hour, um, for a few months. And basically that was my only indicator of whether or not my day was a successful day. And it was, did I practice? Mm. And that skill led me to working with the company in the credit space, then in the survival space. And that's where I started doing these videos of, uh, basically, um, drinking toilet water. And I would do these, like, that was my first ever viral video was I'd I was like, Hey, I'm in, or I'm about to drink toilet water. And it was a public toilet and oh, I went man. In and scooped it out and put it into a water filter. And, uh, that was like how I sort of became known in the marketing space was that one video it's still out there. And, uh, and then I drank out of some other toilets later on. I had my own water company. And basically that whole time I had my own business teaching people how to make money online. Once I had sold a few million dollars worth of stuff in the credit space, I was like, okay, I can teach this, but I hated that everybody would just start teaching stuff mm-hmm. when I hadn't made any money yet. And so I started teaching email marketing and then that same business. Now I've had, that's just sort of always been a side business for the past like five years. And now it's grown into my main one and mainly teach people how to make more money in less time while having more fun. So that's the the primary sort of thing these days and started doing all these weird videos, making fun of entrepreneurs and they went viral and somehow uh, I've wanted to get an article published on like Forbes that just says how this guy's made over a million dollars making fun of people. And <laughs> yeah, that's basic. Cause I could, I could like directly attribute at least a million dollars to those videos. Cause people will watch Ly Topaz or very grinded Chuck or, you know, muscle function. And then they'll end up buying my products later and they'll, they'll buy a $3,000 product. And they came from mo- a lot of people who are on my list and stuff. They came from these silly parody videos. So it's like, I basically just get paid to have fun. Which is a great life. And that's the happy hustler way in, in many, you know, verticals, obviously for us, happy hustlers out there and the people listening, you know, I completely resonate. And I'm sure a lot of people do with making money online, you know, and having fun in the process. I mean, that is what it's all about, right? And, and well, if you're not having fun, then why are you doing it? If it's just for the sake of a means to an end, yeah. I think that's the thing is we're taught as kids is that work isn't supposed to be fun. You know, that's, that's play. That's different. And then you're supposed to stop playing when you get old. Mm-hmm. And I have this really weird relationship to fun where not only do I obviously enjoy having fun, like most people do, but the more fun Guilty. I have, the more money I make. It's really odd. It's like the more I push myself into having fun, the more money ends up coming in. And so it's like, I realize that's not normal, but it also is something that I've created. So it's like, that's something that even my, I have a business partner now in this main business. And one of the main reasons he decided to work with me is he's like, I've never thought work could be fun. And the fact that it's fun for you is like, I can't imagine that. So now he's like, Oh, it's fucking crazy. We're having fun and working at the same time. Mind blown. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and probably people listening right now need a little more fun in their lives, given the the current chaos, you know, hopefully this 
episode can be a beacon of light and and show them another way to having fun and doing something that they're passionate about, hopefully serving others in the process. You know, that's what this is about is bringing to you guys inspiring, happy hustlers like Ian, who has created, you know, a multi-million dollar business online from a Wi-Fi connection and having fun in the process. So really buckle up because we're going to get into the nitty gritty on this one with the sales secrets because you got a bunch of those. But I want to I want to just break down like you know you say you sold over a hundred million dollars of products and services online that's a lot of money of you know products and services what are some of those products and services that you sold yeah so i would say and that's not a hundred million dollars in my bank account no know? obviously and I, yeah. don't, I don't try and say it's not like that's something i try to claim yeah. um but uh let's see the first so if we were to break it down, and I thought about this i should actually add like an addendum in in my book that like has the section can you still hear me yeah I just got the, I think that's the low battery of the AirPods. So um, it should be fine, but we'll see. So, um, you know, I was thinking just putting an addendum in there of how I actually came up with that number because it is a real number. It's actually, it's more than that now. But uh, the first few million were how to improve your credit score. So it was Mm. eBooks on how to improve your credit score. Um, I mean, the first business that I had, and while we're doing that is basically just teaching dating. And so we did these boot camps. And, and you know, it's not like I made a ton doing this, this that business back then, but we charged it was like thirty two hundred bucks for three days for these guys to come and you know, basically we got paid to go out and drink. And uh <coughs> Rough life. Thing. <laughs> yeah. that was thing. And uh so it was credit and then next was survival. So it was a lot of uh, an ebook called The Four Foot Farm. So how to it was how to grow a hundred pounds of uh food in a four by four foot space. Uh, And then we had this water pitcher and that was where I was the face of this company. And I decided, and it was the thing is I'd never done any of this stuff. I was just like, I'll go on camera. I like doing dumb stuff. And so I had this idea for this toilet water video and I did it. And, um, and it went crazy, like 500,000 views in the first two days and started selling like 80 pitches a day of a, you know, $70 pitcher. And it was like, okay. And so we were doing, we did 20 million that year at that business that I was with. And and then wow. we had like 15 million just in rebuilds scheduled through the, um, uh, the subscriptions for the filters. And that was where I learned a really important lesson, which was that, uh, I mean, and I didn't own that company. I was the main person. Space guy. The, yeah. And so, and writing everything and, you know, strategy and all that. And I it was me and the owner and the other owner basically, but one of them basically had some other, you know, personal stuff come up and, um, he didn't issue refunds for 70 days. And basically this whole company's merchant accounts, we had hundred thousand dollar days coming in, uh, rebills that were not getting billed because the merchant accounts, um, were having issues because this guy let his personal life get in the way. And mm. that was one of the first times when I learned that most business problems, once you get to a certain level of skill aren't business problems, they're emotional or personal problems. And so Good I was point. there and we sold, I think, so if I added that up, you know, that was 30 million or so, 35 or something. Um, and then, uh, and then from there I started, uh, I was freelancing at that point and, um, I was doing a lot of, uh, I had my own, you know, side business as well. And, um, for the freelancing, basically I started my own water filter company after that. And then I sold that about, I think, 11 months after I started it. I sold that to what was the fastest starting growth, uh, fastest growing startup in Canada at the time. Um, not for some crazy amount, but it helped me grow it, and it was it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I wrote a lot of stuff in the survival and health space, basically a lot of supplement and um, really some. I've, I've done everything. Two thousand dollars solar panels, or not solar panels, um, solar generators. Um, sold $20 million worth of those from some of the stuff I've done and, uh, some, um, different, uh, air purifiers and supplements and, you know, Dang, the list powders and I've sold uh, so much different stuff. I mean, and then now it's mainly the, my own money. So, and then I had a business with a therapist, executive coach guy, and we had, um, basically help people work through the deeper mental and emotional blocks that holding back. We did about 30 events in the course of 18 months, uh, working with a lot of it was higher level entrepreneurs working through deeper emotional stuff. And Hmm. so I basically got like 30 years of therapy in the course of about two years and, um, could use that. (laughs) Oh, it was, that's the most, just about the most valuable thing I've ever done. Yeah. uh, was that. 
And then, uh, where could people listening get some of, of that yeah, training? Cause I feel like, you know, mental health is a hot topic right now. And something yeah, that people could use. We, we, um, we stopped that business. Basically his coaching business was so, mm, okay. uh, was doing so well and it was growing so much from actually what we were doing. So he charges 75 grand a year now, mm. um, per person. But I have, uh, I have a membership group called the unit where there's a lot of the tactical stuff, but, I end up working on the mindset and emotional stuff because like I said, most business problems, once you get to a certain level of skill, they're not business problems that you getting in your own way. Yep. And so, uh, I'd say that my favorite book, then I've read it now 12 times, I think in the last uh, two years, almost two years is the surrender experiment. Um, Mickey Michael Singer. Singer yeah, I know Mickey. Uh, do you? It's my brother's mentor. I've been to Mickey's uh, Temple of the Universe multiple times. Oh man, dude! Next I time go you're out in Florida. This, yeah. No, Next I'm, time you're go in Florida. I'm I'm definitely going out this year. Like 100%. Yeah. that guy has no. I think about that guy every single day, um, multiple times a day. He's a legend. Weird, that sounds. He is. <laughs> the thing that I love about him beyond because like I read The Power of Now when I was you know 18 and I had mm. I started meditating when I was 18 and had all these. I had, a, I had my first sort of Satori experience of like, this, I hate to use the word, but enlightenment experience when I was 19. And then like most people who experiences something like that, I reverted back um, to sort of more of a normal existence comparatively. But that's what these gurus don't tell you is like when you have some sort of breakthrough moment into this bliss experience, it does dissipate. That's what happens mm-hmm. with bliss experiences. They're not, sustainable that's not Mm -hmm. the human experience and so the problem is is people go oh my god i've had this breakthrough and now i want every minute to do this and so what happens is they chase this bliss experience and by doing that they're saying that they're not okay as they are and by chasing it it's like a handful of sand the harder you grip on the more it falls through your fingers and so i've learned that the more you just allow it to happen when it does and not try to chase it the more it happens and i find that of all these guru types a lot of them, you know, I think happiness is a two is sort of a two-pronged equation. One is to learn how to be present in this moment and accept your reality as it is, not as you want it to be, and to let go of your preferences. And then the second thing is to actually do something that you're supposed to do with your life. I think we all have some purpose and that we're supposed to fulfill that. And I think that almost nobody is. And the thing that's tough is that the people like an Eckhart Tolle and a um, a lot of these other gurus, their purpose is to teach. So it's easy for them to talk about it. And they also don't live a very normal existence. It's like, oh, well, I wrote a book and I sit under a tree and <laughs> yeah. I'm happy. It's like, well, and and this is something Brent, the, um, the coach therapist guy that I worked with, would say is a lot of the meditation practices that are taught like um, by monks and stuff, they're actually designed for monks and not for people who are normal people. They're designed to numb you in mm-hmm. order to break away from society and sort of in a way retreat from it. Yeah. Whereas the reality is we're supposed to live a normal life and still maintain our practices. And so that's what I love about Michael Singer is, I mean, he built and not the money doesn't necessarily matter. It's just, it's interesting that he built this, what ended up being like a billion dollar company. Oh yeah. Yeah. While living WebMD. in the woods. Yeah. I know that's just so crazy. Yeah. And he did all this while maintaining his practices, continuing to surrender and the thing is, anytime you think you're like any sort of master of surrender, life will be like, oh, you're, you're always at the beginning of the path. Mm-hmm. And he went through some crazy stuff in his life. And it's just, I think it's rare to find the teacher who's done and taught. And I feel like he lives, you know, you never know until you meet a person. And even then, you know, it's easy. But I feel like of all the people, he really is who he says he is. And... I think that he's, it's, I think it's a very remarkable thing. And so my, you know, my goal, this is super weird, but you know, I love, I love Bill Murray. Um, not necessarily actually like a ton of his movies or anything. I just love Bill Murray. And so I know you, we talked a little bit before this, that you went to second city yeah, in Chicago. And I think he was at second city yep. back in the day. And, uh, my goal of, you know, I do stand up and that's what I really love. And that's, I'll continue to run my businesses, but I want to do stand up and make movies and do as you should. Cause you're it's, extremely talented. Well, thank you. It's, it's just so fun. There's nothing and like making those videos and stuff. It's like the pure inherent joy is just, it's like the things you do should have an inherent intrinsic value, not just what's well, only fun. If people laugh, it's like, no, no, no. Did you have fun? Cause also if you have fun, they probably will. 
Yeah. But when I look at Bill Murray, he, what's so interesting to me about him is like, I don't want to be famous in order to fulfill some sort of void within myself of like, well, if I'm famous, then I can love my, then my, then my parents will love me and then I'll finally love me. And then, and really then, you know, you just go down a cycle of drugs and whatever, because the highs are never mm-hmm. high enough. But to me, it's actually, my goal is to be, to do what Bill Murray does, which is, I don't know. Do you, have you ever heard the stories about him? Some of them. I mean, probably not the ones that you're thinking of. Well, there's all just, the, there's just these crazy stories, right? Oh like, yeah. Bill Murray will show up at your bachelor party and he gives a speech. And actually my girlfriend's friend the other day, they were in Austin and he just showed up somewhere and like, I think they took a picture with him, something random, but he'll, there are these stories in Austin a few years ago. He went and he just walked behind the bar and started bartending and you know everybody they'd come up and order their drinks from him and no matter what they ordered he'd give them tequila and then there are these stories he'll come over to somebody's house at a house party he'll just show up and then he'll, they'll, he'll be washing their dishes and then they all turn around and he's like batman he just leaves he's gone you know and they're <laughs> like hilarious. what and it's like that's i think just the coolest thing is to have these moments that exist solely for the joy of them and not for some sort of like other purpose that has to be something bigger. And I think like with Michael Singer um, and just the whole idea of surrender is that's what fascinates me so much is just allowing um, all of this chaos and all of this shit to come up. And the reason I said all that is there was this quote of, uh, you know, if you talk about to entrepreneurs and stuff, if you ask me my goal, what I'm supposed to say is like, I need to have a hundred million dollar year company because that'll make me validated as a man. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I need. And I used to be that way, by the way. But uh, there was a talk show and they're interviewing Bill Murray and they're like, what's your biggest goal right now, Bill? And he's like, you know, I just want to spend more time here. And that was it. And so, and and then now I've come up with my own response to that, which is it's like, well, what's your biggest goal? And my biggest goal is to spend more time here. And you say, well, how do you get there? It's like, well, get rid of the tea. And to me, I think a lot of life is a lot simpler than people make it. Yeah. They chase all these things. And sometimes it's as easy as, you know, as cheesy as that all sounds. Get rid of the tea. Just fucking be here. Enjoy it. Present. I love that. I just want to extract a couple of things from what you've said, because there was some gold in there. Really, surrender is the key to being present. And I think one of the, the things that we really love about people like Bill Murray, people like Mickey Singer, people who just exude that type of unapologetic energy is because they just don't give a fuck. They are themselves 100% through and through. And authenticity in this world of BS, flashy, materialistic cars, and the the gurus standing there with the Lambo in the background, you know. You know, I mean, it's like you go to these parties. I see you at them, and you're like, you, you make fun of them in the process. But they're also, it's like... People cut through the BS now so more, so much more now than ever. And what we're really saying, Ian and myself, is just you have to be unapologetically yourself. Find a message that resonates with you and then just happy hustle for it. Whatever it is that he, Ian wants to do stand-up. He's going to do stand-up whether someone's, you know, one person in the crowd or 100,000 people in the crowd. He wants to do it. I love I love podcasting because I get to connect with awesome people like you. So I'm going to do it, whether I get millions of downloads every episode or not, or not. You know, because it's it's the thing that just fills you up, and that's what you need to be in search of, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, what conversations would you be having if nobody was listening to anyways? Right. Like, I don't care if 15 people listen to this or a hundred thousand, like that's not going to change how you show up. And it's the same as like in standup, I'm a relative beginner compared to let's say in the business world. And so I could walk in and try and have an ego and be like, well, I, I shouldn't be doing sets for this and this and this. I'm like, I don't care if there's fucking six people. I don't have fun. I'm not above any of it. I'm a beginner. And I want every, every chance I can be on the stage is an opportunity to get better and to grow and to enjoy myself. And if you think you're, and that's what a lot of people in early phases, especially people who've been successful in something else in their life, when they go and try something else, they assume that things should be different for them. It's like, no, you're a beginner in this realm. So accept that and be humble and don't think that you're entitled yeah. to more than you are. And comedy is the worst, man. I'm sure you've been around it if with you know the stuff that you've done. is 
it's the people, man, that they're depressed and they're broke and they're victims. And they're like, everything is about, well, man, you know, I didn't get to do, I shouldn't be having to do these sets anymore because I'm better than that. And it's like, well, no, you're not. This is how it works. Like you, they're just so victim minded around complaining and, Oh my God, it should be this way and everything's wrong. And, Oh, it's such bullshit. And it's like, God, don't like, so I don't just don't hang out with them. It's, at least in Austin, it was like any of the people there. I was like, I don't want to be, maybe not want to, I just didn't do stand up there because the yeah. people are so just bummed out. Yeah. I think it's really important who you surround yourself with because you are a product of your environment, right? You either round up or you round down. And then another thing is having that beginner mindset with whoever you come in contact with every single person from the bum on the street to the multi-million dollar exec has some lesson to teach us. And as Ian and I referenced before, you know, we are having this experience connecting for a reason, right? I believe that at least. And Mm -hmm. I think you do too. So it's like, and it all happens in its right timing. So right now this Corona chaos is all happening in its right timing. you're getting this quarantine time at home in its right timing, guys, you can choose to spend your time Netflix and chilling, getting lost in a series without meaning, or you could, you know, study a course online or master sales with Ian and his, you know, persuasion hitman book or do something, you know, fun that fills you up, pick up a hobby, start painting. I don't know. You know, there's, it's a choice we all have. And right now is a perfect time to do something that will then progress you towards your, your dreams. And I want to get into some of these, these actual persuasion tactics and and sales tactics, because you mentioned the beginner mindset. Let's take it to, beginner level for people listening some of those you know sales maybe they they have a a company or a product or service that they're selling what are some of those like early you know beginner sales tactics and then kind of elevate the level as you continue to share and maybe some of the higher level sales tactics yeah so i would say probably the first one that's easy to understand that i see so many people not do and i i see really, really good salespeople make this mistake still and not do it. And I do my best to not make it, um, is to do the math. And I repeat this and I, I have this membership, you know, group, the unit and like they submit stuff and they ask questions and I'll just still, I'll be like, and I'm, we're going to get them made this year. I know it. we're going to get the little, like, you know, the staples easy button, the little red button that you press and says, that yeah. was easy. We're going to get one that just says, do the math. And it's just different versions of me yelling or saying, do the math or <laughs> do the fucking math or whatever, because, whenever you're at the point of selling and you're at that sort of closing stage and you've got to give people the price and get people to buy, um, you have to do the math and lay things out for people in a way where basically people buy on emotion and they justify with logic. So at that point where they're going to justify their purchase and they're going to pull the trigger, you have to do the math and make it make sense. And so one of the questions I always like to ask is, so I have a course, the one hour workday, which right now is anywhere from 1500 to $3,000. And so, the one hour workday? One hour workday, yeah. Oh, it I love like it. a scam, but it's real. <laughs> it's what I've done for a lot of my time. And so um, I said to people, like, if if all this did was add an extra $1,000 a month for you, would that be worth $1,500? And when people go, oh, well, so if I said at the end of this year, I'm going to give you $12,000, if you just give me 1500 right now, would you do that? Well, yeah, of course I would. Okay. Well, then you just get them to say yes, and it's a real thing. And so I like to do the math and break it down and and really like put that in front of people in terms that they understand. Because what happens is a lot of the time is pretty nobody, not many people enjoy doing math. And so you have to do the math for them. The people make assumptions that they're going to do it and they're going to be like, well, how do they not see the value? It's like, how do you not see the value of thank you, of what you of what I'm saying? Because you didn't tell them. Yeah, you didn't do the math. And so another piece of that is when you start with your um, your product. So with the one hour workday, when I go through selling that, um, I take people through all of the products um, and all the information and implementation stuff that's in the course. And when I go through all of it, it ends up being I think it's something like seventeen thousand eight hundred ninety four dollars worth of value. And that's not just made up like people just make stuff up. It's actually quite real Mm -hmm. and so based on what i charge for other things and all this and so before i tell anybody the price and obviously i've done this in the wrong way 
in this, but I'm not trying to sell you guys the one hour work day. If you want to buy it, you can, but, um, <laughs> actually I don't even, I don't even think it's open right now anyway. So, um, although I might be opening again next week, but basically I'll say this, 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 and I always start with the highest prices. And by the time it gets to 17,000 and then it says, but you're not going to pay 3000, not even 2000, but it's 1500. And people think, Oh, it's cheesy. If you do it in a way that's not cheesy, or if you make fun of it, which is what I do, I'll be like, imagine my, you know, my most infomercially voice. Um, and you drop it down. The reality is we all have something in our brain called a price anchor. And if you set the anchor high, it doesn't matter how, um, insane is if I tell you, look, I charge, um, you know, $20,000 for a consulting day. If that's the first price I put out to you and say, that's not what you're going to pay. Um, it's $10,000. If you come to my house to work with me for a day on my roof and then I take, okay, well, it's not even going to be five grand, even though I could easily charge that it's not three. So two, and I take them down. Now what happened is they hear 20,000. Now everything is in reference now to that anchor of 20,000. Yep. So now you pull them down and people think, Oh, that's cheesy. Do I really have to do that? I've tested it so many times. Yes. No matter what it works as much as it may seem cheesy or not. If you do it in a way that's authentic, it doesn't come across that way. Um, that's probably the biggest mistake and the easiest thing to fix is doing the math. Um, and then really probably one of the more advanced things that I teach and maybe the most weird and useful all at once. Actually, I'll tell two things. Um, one is that you're not selling a product. You're not selling a result. You're not selling, um, anything other than a feeling. So people think, well, I sell cars. No, you don't. You sell the feeling that that car is supposed to provide. Mm-hmm. Well, I sell a $2,000 solar generator. No, you don't. You sell the feeling that that thing is supposed to provide, whether it's safety or security. Um, there are really only eight core feelings of anger, pain, shame, guilt. Um, always forget one. Uh, fear, <laughs> fear. So there's five of the darker emotions, and then you have love, joy, and passion. Um, so there's really only eight core emotions. And at any point in any sales message or presentation or sales letter, um, you're either amplifying or reducing those emotions. So you either want to amplify fear or reduce fear. You want to, and one thing that's really useful to know is that sad people don't buy shit, um, mm. but mad people do. So I say angry people like to hit things, especially buy buttons. And so if you can get people mad, because think about a sad person, they're like, I just want to eat ice cream and say, yeah. I got to think, think about, about a mad person. They're like, I need to do something. I want to make shit happen. Yeah. So that's why people have sold so much in the conservative space to, Oh, you know, screw Obama. And then they get it mad and they go, yeah. And then they buy stuff because they're mad. Yeah. And so if you can make people mad, they're going to buy. And so basically, instead of thinking of it as selling the object, you, you, um, and this is another one of the rules is, uh, sell them what they want, give them what they need. So mm-hmm. people try to sell people what they need. So you guys sell a lot of health related stuff, right? Yeah. Like I've got, you know, I've got your guys book and everything. And, um, you're not, if, if you had a sales page that said, well, what you need to do is you need to uh, reduce your sugar intake and you need to fast and you need to do this and this and this, that's not, that's telling them what they need to do. What they want is to feel better, to have more energy, to have more free time, mm-hmm. to improve the way that they look and they feel. And so you don't sell them what they need to do. You sell them what they want. Yep. And it's not even the result. You're selling the feeling. Imagine. So the word imagine is very useful. Imagine what it'd be like to wake up and not have your knees dying in pain when you get out of bed. Imagine, you know, waking up with the energy you did when you were in your, you're a teenager instead of getting slowly groggily out of bed, dragging yourself out to another miserable day. But you paint that picture and you help them imagine the feelings that they're going to feel. And yeah. so that's, that's some big ones. And then sort of the shortcut to a lot of this, what I write is a lot of what I call just emotional copy. It's a lot of emotional stories and stuff. And people are like, oh, you, you can't just tell emotional stories and sell. Like you've got to, you know, hit them with the facts. And it's like, <laughs> well, for the most part, you don't. And so my sort of shortcut to everything is to uh, tell the stories that scare you the most. So whatever story it is that you do not want to tell, the story that you didn't even tell your best friend as a kid, the one that just embarrasses you, basically the more it embarrasses you, the more you should probably tell that story. The one about pooping your pants, the one about how, you know, you guilty. got mistaken. Yeah. All of it. By the way, everybody's guilty. Oh, um, I dumped on a trampoline in front of two chicks I was crushing on in high school. It was so embarrassing. Damn, that's, <laughs> I haven't, that's impressive almost. 
Was it on the jump? It was on the jump. It was all the way up. Right oh, out the right out the street. Oh my god. Oh, that's <laughs> incredible. See, that can be turned into a sales message. That's what I that would be an email to me that I would send to my list about that. All right, we'll um, talk later. Just ten percent. Yeah, the, yeah. I would subject line. I pooped on a trampoline. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm opening that. <laughs> yeah. I'm opening that for sure. Um, and then, uh, but so you take those stories and whether it's that or it's the story about, you know, I have the story about how my dog almost died and that's what I tell when I go on stage and speak and people cry. And I've, I've told that story on uh, a Facebook video and it's got 9 million views from just organic of just people, you know, crying, people just crying their eyes out. Um, and it's just, it's a hard story for me to tell. And that's why people connect with it. And so whatever the harder it is for you to tell, the scarier it is, the more likely it is to connect with people because connection happens around the rough edges. People don't fall in love. The reason I'm not a big Superman fan because the dude's boring as shit. Perfect, it's right? like, Oh, what's, what's his, uh, well, he has, he's got to have some weaknesses. Well, yeah. If you can find this really obscure rock on a planet that we can't get to, we could defeat him. It's like, okay, well, that's really boring. Like, what is one of Batman's flaws? Well, if he got the flu, he would be sick. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's a human. Like, that's what makes us interesting is our flaws. Mm-hmm. And people don't connect with perfect beings. You have to be flawed. You have to show your flaws. That's why even when a hero is written about in a book, they have to try and create human flaws about them. It's why, you know, Thor may be able to, you know, call down lightning and kill thousands of people in one, you know, throw of a hammer, but he still can't quite figure out his relationship with this human woman. Yeah. And there's your floor. And that's what connects you. <laughs> I know you can't figure out a relationship with Natalie Portman, man. I mean, <laughs> Come on. But those figure are great, <laughs> right? Figure it out, bro. Those are great tactics, man. I mean, the core emotions of, of someone are really important to tap into those eight that I'm going to butcher if I try to repeat them. So I'm not going to, um, but those sell them what they want, give them what they need. Another crucial takeaway, use emotional story. I mean, they're all in the book, the persuasion Hitman, right? Yeah, I think there's a, uh, yeah. Rule five, you're always selling a feeling rule six, do the math. Um, do the math is another great takeaway. Rule Rule 11, sell them what they want, give them what they need. Rule 12, tell the, stereo, the stories that scare you the most. And then another one, um, well, time and money are not related. That's a huge one. Um, that's what we've been taught as children is that time and money are related. We get paid hourly. We get paid a salary. It's always a measure of time. And so we believe that time is how we get money, but there's no relationship. It's just something we've, it's a longer story, but yeah. something we've constructed. And then the first line of any message is the most important. That's rule eight, which is huge. That first sentence of the the one that sold tens of millions of dollars now of solar generators is uh, the first line of the story is John didn't know he was going to die that night. And that's the first line. And it was nothing to do seemingly with a solar generator, yeah. but it's Here. killed it, killed it literally. Um, <laughs> and then the last one is the, uh, don't let the stories you tell yourself define you. And that's, this is the copy that's just sitting on my parents thing. It's all tatted and stuff. Um, which means I think they actually read that it. handsome guy um, with the, the wind blowing in his head. Yeah, I don't Did you have a, <laughs> no, this is all from the cover of this book, right? Um, but that's a big one. And that's something we talked about, you know, and I talk about surrender a little in the book at the end is just, you know, the stories you tell yourself are the things that are going to, um, dictate whatever happens Well, I'm from a poor family or, you know, I'm never going to make it online. Or I'm just destined for a corporate gig, whatever it is, those I am statements, those identity statements are going to shape your life. And if they don't match up with the things you actually want, then it's basically, it's very hard for a human being to conflict with their core identity. So if their core identity is my family's poor, I'm supposed to be poor or rich people are assholes or, you know, whatever those things are, if they have, if you have those core beliefs, then it's going to be really rough to, uh, you're not going to be able to break out of that. It's like, if you believe that you're fat and even if you get skinny, but you're like at your core, you believe that you're a fat person, you're going to get fat again. That's yeah. how it works. If you believe that you're an in, in shape person, the second you get out of shape at all, you're going to revert back to being in shape because that's your identity. And so yeah. you have to have identities that match up. And then, you know, the next level is those are sort of training wheels, but they're very good training wheels. And then the next level is to 
do your absolute best to let go of all the identities you have. And that's the, the Mickey saying a level of, you know, surrender where you can not attach yourself to any sort of identity and just allow yourself to be. That's a, that's deep. It's a next level maneuver. That's deep, guys. I don't know if we're ready on this episode uh, to go that yeah. deep, but but if you are and you're listening, that's a a, a pretty woke statement Ian just dropped. So uh, if you're ready to release those identities and you know just become your true self, the happy hustler in you is hungry. Feed it. Go out there and do something that speaks to your soul. Cut the crap. You know, quit the gig and do something that lights you up. You know, that's what we're saying. Is like you can have it all. You you don't need to trade your time for money anymore (laughs) that's what happy hustling is about is do what you want to do you know i want to go jump on the trampoline after this not poop but just gonna go jump (laughs) on my mini tramp so i'm gonna go do it you know and and well that's if uh if you look at sort of um there's one of one of my favorite philosophers is alan watts i'm sure yeah um and a video that really shifted things for me when i was young is is, you know what uh, what if money were no object you know, and he basically goes in and it's, you know, it's people are going around making money, doing things they don't like doing, which is to say that they are doing things they don't like doing in order to continue to do things they don't like doing, which is stupid. Yeah. And, and if you've heard his voice, it's pretty spot on. And, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and that really, you know, that, that shifted things to me. And then another one was a video of Jim Carrey and he was talking about his dad oh, Jim, and yeah. it's a great one. And he's like, you know, he said, he's like, my dad could have been a great comedian. Um, but when we were born, he decided to be an accountant, which also hits me because I was, I got my emphasis in accounting. I know I, I seem like an accountant. Curveball. Um, I know. <laughs> I remember sitting. It's never going to happen. I would kill myself if I was an accountant. And so, um, but he said, my dad could have been an accountant. Uh, a comedian and instead he took the safe choice and he was an accountant and when i was 12 years old he got fired and what people don't tell you is that you can fail at what you don't want to do so you might as well do what you do want to do and i'd never heard that and it was like you don't think about because the safe choice is supposed to be safe yeah and there's people right now who are like yeah i took the safe choice and now coronavirus hit now i lost my job that i hated and i could have been trying the thing that i wanted to do and that's the big thing for me to stand up is like it's not a negotiable thing. It's like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's, I can't imagine not doing it. And it's like, so you find those things that have that intrinsic reward. That's not dependent upon other people's accolades or the money or whatever it is, is what lights you up. Cause typically if you like something enough, you get good enough that people will pay you a lot for it. Yeah, for sure. That's when you, you, when you speak about stand up, that's how I feel about writing, directing and starring in my own feature film, you know, and I, I already have it all mapped out. I see the premiere. I already have the vision, you know, and I want my own TV show too. So it's like, I already that's see awesome. it and I'm going to do it with or without like people watch it. I'm just going to make right. it. I'm going to make that movie. Right. But in order to control the art, you have to control the resources. That's why I'm happy hustling. So I can have the resources yep. to fund it and not take anyone else's opinion. I want to do it my way, you know, and that's what I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they want that freedom. They want to be doing things their way and to not be trading their time for money. And, you know, this conversation has completely went off track of where my normal questions and answers go, but I like it a lot because that's what this is about. (laughs) You know, what's coming up is meant to be said and, and it's meant to be heard by you. And if you are in a situation where, you know, you have lost your job from the coronavirus or taken a pay cut. Here's permission to go explore something else. Let this be the catalyst to then pursue a career or a, a project that you actually want to do that speaks to your soul. Now, I do want to touch on some other tangible happy hustle acts, then get into the rapid fire round and wrap this bad boy up. In terms of health, you mentioned it and you mentioned some of the belief systems around, you know, if I'm going to be fat or think I'm going to be fat, then I'm going to be, you know, fat because that's just my identity with myself and breaking those identities is another level of human psychology. But in terms of just health tactics, cause you're in good shape. I know you prioritize health. What are some of your tangible, happy hustle hacks for your health? Yeah. Um, can you hear me still? Did that yeah. Wait, I still hear you on the headphones. Okay. I think I've got one headphone working. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Training slowly, so it'll probably time itself pretty well. Um, so, uh, oh, 
Nope, we still got one. Okay. I don't know. Here we go. All right. We're going to yeah transition to the... There you go. Go to the, the computer audio. There it is. All right, unmute. There we go. Boom. Um, so I actually... Uh, at this point, uh, so I have Crohn's disease. I got diagnosed a couple of years ago. So I went from, um, about 195 pounds, about 165 pounds, lost a ton of weight, um, diarrhea eight times a day. Um, I, uh, I actually have, I have a supplement that I'm launching that I had found from this woman that completely changed my life, helped me gain back 40 pounds. Um, but I have actually been doing, um, carnivore diet for about 45 days and i've never felt so good it's just like i'm not saying everybody should do it i do think it's kind of makes a lot of sense as to how humans evolve but uh for me it's definitely the best thing i've done and i've done a lot but i typically before this i would do i basically my my rule for eating is pretty simple uh if you don't, if you don't exercise, don't eat carbs. If you exercise, eat carbs after you exercise. Uh, I've been fasting since I was like 19. The first time I was fasting, I was, I waited till 3 PM to eat one day when I was in college and people, my friends like, you're going to die. Literally. <laughs> you're, you're dying. And so, uh, hold on, am I, I don't know if I can hear you now. Let me see where this mic is coming out. No, no, it should be. Can you say something real quick? Check one, two, check one, two. I'm not hearing you for some oh, reason. Oh, well, I can hear you crystal clear. Um, <laughs> oh, because this is off. Say something now. Check one, two. Now. No? You sound velvety. I can't hear you. Uh, <laughs> so one, so one you way. Hear me. I can hear you. Okay. So, but basically I fast, I eat a couple of pounds. Oh, watch this. Hey, he's and back. And should be working now. Yep. I still can't hear you for some reason. I can hear you. I don't know if you muted or what, but, uh, well, I'll just say I eat a bunch of meat <laughs> and I, uh, I lift for about six times a week. And I now, as I've been, it's taken a little bit. I had to lift less while I was transitioning over to like fully zero cubs. Cause normally I would do like six days, no cubs and then some cubs. And this time was a lot different. So it, I hadn't been lifting as much or running much. And now I'll, I'll typically I like to run once a day and then lift once a day and, uh, eat once or twice a day. Can you, you got me, you hear me? I can't hear you for some reason though. I don't know why. Hmm. Can you check your, um, Bluetooth? Let me... All right. If you're live guys, Speaker. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We will get through this, and uh, I can we'll get back. hear on the test, but I can't hear you at all. Oh no! Are you muted? No, I doubt it. Try unmuting and muting yourself. How's that? How's that testing? Can you hear me? Nothing. I hear you. Can you hear Maybe me? This is just. Uh, uh, this is a sign we're not we're not supposed to talk anymore. <laughs> no more, no more. Should I leave it and come back in? It might be yeah. your. I don't know if you can hear me. How's that? Are you back? Still you silent. Huh. Let's see if I like play music. If it's just these. Okay. All right, guys. We're gonna. We're going to resume this episode in uh, T minus five minutes. I, I, I can just try to read your lips. That'll be the, <laughs> the rest of this. Yeah, right. Let me see. What the heck? It's so weird. Hold on. Yeah. Hmm. All right, guys. We're going to sign I off. I try to come back in? Yeah. Okay. I'll, uh... All right. Well. We lost Ian, guys. It's been a great episode. Hopefully, you know, he comes back on and then we can see if his audio is working again. But I hope you got some value from this one because I sure did. I mean, that guy sold a ton from sales copy, from copywriting, and all sorts of amazing content. How's that? Oh, he's back. back. You can hear me? I can hear you. 
man movie magic people that was all part of the plan we're seeing yeah. how much you really want it you know two guys who've made a lot of videos <laughs> yeah figure out sound. yeah it's like the the grandma who gets close. i'm on am i on what? yeah <laughs> but those are that was good you know happy hustle hacks for health what about in terms of spirituality do you have any go-to foundations that allow you to type tap into that higher power that maybe you can use or apply for the the happy hustlers listening yeah, so I meditate every day. Um, I teach a couple of meditations. I have, a, I have one I do called the second self, which is this weird thing I developed years ago to basically access um, what originally started as kind of an alter ego in order to get work done. And then it's become something that people have these like weird sort of transcendent experiences on. And I do it every day. And sometimes it's three or four minutes. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, but I do meditate just about every day. I rarely miss. Um I like shorter meditations typically. Um, it just depends on what I have going on, but I do meditate pretty much every day. I, I write a lot, you know, just in general, but I also find that journaling and just writing is a really important practice. Uh, and then I think, I think anything you do that makes you stop doing shit, like stop checking your phone, stop also doing, I think doing is like just going for, a, I, I like, I do like running without headphones or anything, no podcast, no, you know, even though we're doing one right now, like I yeah. think it can be great, but from time to time they can become an addiction mm -hmm. um, where it's like, you always have to be learning and growing. So um, that night, you know, I, I enjoy, I also enjoy mushrooms. There you uh, go. A little party you know, favor. Shiitake, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Psychedelics. I mean, the, the scientific literature is 100% oh, favorable for psychedelic yeah, use in uh, moderation, obviously. Yeah, I do. When I, also do, I, I do ice baths most days and I do, um, I have a cold tub on my roof and then I do uh, Wim Hof breathing as well, which awesome. both help a ton with the Crohn's yeah. and uh, inflammation and stuff. Let's talk after we can help you with Crohn's. We have clients with Crohn's and we, we cure it. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's obviously, yeah, something long conversation and it's a process. Yeah. There's no magic bullet, but um, yeah, you know, I'm with Candida cleanse right now. Uh, yeah. Through this, uh, like these weird pills from like Thailand and you have to like, take 14 grams of fat with each pill and which is great because all they do is eat a bunch of fat protein so uh, yeah. but yeah i'm curious to talk to you guys about that i know we yeah. talked briefly before for sure yeah so spiritually i think that's i don't think there's anything better than meditation i think the problem is and we're actually going to put out an app with these meditations because i think the biggest issue with meditation is that people try and teach mantras or they teach these 20 minute things if all you did is a minute a day that's better yeah. than two minutes and the point is to build the habit not necessarily to do the perfect meditation um and so i do a lot of visualization and i find that it's a lot more fun and it's easier and the point isn't to try and do the perfect thing it's like people are like i'm gonna do the perfect workout but you probably won't so just do what's easy until you build the habit and then you can do more advanced stuff but I think just the fact that if you just sit with yourself for a minute, that's meditation. People mm -hmm. try to define it as this thing. And so they beat themselves up. They hate it. And the point of it's supposed to be enjoyable. So you keep doing it. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any happy hustle hacks for money, like managing, investing, spending, saving, anything that the, the listeners yeah. could get value from? So I would say that the single biggest hack I could give is to do this money meditation. I call it the money magnet meditation. It is something I sell. I'm not just telling you that because I sell it. The results are the weirdest shit. Like I want to tell people it doesn't work because it's so weird. It's <laughs> a three to five minute thing. And people be like, yeah, like my favorite story is that people who like this one guy, it's a friend of mine. He's like, oh, he's like the biggest skeptic. He goes, I did it just to spite you. I did it for two weeks. I'm like, this isn't going to work. This is bullshit. Two weeks later, he has $2,000 show up in his bank account. Still doesn't know where it came from, why it showed up. I have people who be like, this like, literally last week we had a guy. He's got to make twenty three thousand dollars this week. He doesn't make a lot of money. Like just the weirdest stuff. I have my own stuff happen, and part of it there's a scientific reason because of the reticular activation system, which is basically if you prime your mind to notice and think about money, you are going to notice different opportunities, and it's going to come in. And then sort of the second piece is there is some sort of vibrational field that we live in that does shift based on our thoughts and our feelings. Just like when you walk into a room and there's two people fighting, even if you can't hear them fighting. You can feel that weird energy. Mm -hmm. that out around money. So if you are scarce around money, it is going to continue to be a scarce resource. Um, if you are abundant about money, it will be abundant. And uh, it's 
you know, it's in, I think it's in the Bible. It says, you know, to every, to he who has everything, everything is given. And to he who has nothing, nothing is given. Hmm. And if you can see it in your mind and make that a real, if you can see lots of money in your mind, then you can make it a reality. And I know it sounds crazy and cheesy, but money wise, the biggest sack is to understand that savings always has a limit. You can only save in proportion to what you earn, but earning is limitless. And so to focus on earning, that's probably the most useful thing is to focus on earning and let the savings take care of itself rather than trying to budget and save and more. Yeah. Great point there. Last happy hustle hack. Then I want to get in the rapid fire round for your relationship. Do you have any tangible tactics that you use to have a successful you know, relationship with your partner? I mean, obviously there's compromises, there's adversity in every relationship. So I know that, and I agree. It is, you know, it's always a journey of evolution, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I would say is understanding that relationship is always going to be the hardest area compared to health, money, um, or... uh, uh, there's health, money, and relationships are sort of your three biggest things. Even spirituality would be another one if you Mm. say there's four. The thing is about a relationship is there's another person who's constantly changing and um, you're dealing with that. And so her and I both, uh, she was the one who introduced me to Brent, the entrepreneur, or sorry, the coach therapist guy. And so we have this common ground and language we can speak in and that helps us a ton. Mm. Um, And I think just the more honest and open you are in the moment, all resentment, and this is for business partnerships as well, is resentment builds when you don't deal with things as they arise. Mm-hmm. And so if you can have a common way to talk to each other about shit that's bothering you when it's bothering you, that's going to be the most useful thing. Yeah. And it just, it's always changing and there's no such thing as perfect. And so just uh, sort of understanding that I think is the most useful thing. And uh, I'd say one other thing is to try, find somebody who matches your values. Cause there are people who you can have a lot of compatibility with, but if your core values are off, you're always going to be fighting that. Yeah. Like, even if it is, whether it's political or just like core beliefs, if those are different, even if everything else is right, you're just going to be, it's not going to work. Yeah. Great points there. I mean, communication is key, guys. You have to make sure that you can communicate in a common language, especially with your significant others, right? I mean, and in business relationships and as well. make sure they're super hot. That's all that really matters. Is, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> super hot. That's all, you know. Yeah. As long as they're super physically attractive, then that's what will make you happy in the long term. Because right. if there's one thing that really matters, it's what other people think about your relationship, not what you think about it. As long as your friends think your girlfriend's hot. That's what matters most. That is so true. I mean, if you guys can't tell, Ian's sarcasm is <laughs> is beautifully articulated, where it's actually confusing me even listening. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no. it does have, look, and also, if somebody tells you that they're not shallow or that they don't think looks matter, they're just lying. Everybody's attracted to something. It's biologically put into us. We're attracted to certain people because we're supposed to there's one core reason why humans are here and that's to make more humans. So I've said that to, you know, when I was a single person, Oh, you, you yeah, I'm shallow. Sure. But I'm everybody shallow. They just have different standards of what they're attracted to and they're not honest. Yeah. Or they're, yeah, they're not honest about it. Well, yeah, this has been great. Let's get into the rapid fire round. This is where you just answer. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind, are you ready? Yes. All right. Favorite movie. Go. Gladiator. Favorite food. Steak. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it better be steak. Favorite book? Surrender experiment. What's your spirit animal? Wolf. Ice wolf specifically. <laughs> ice wolf. I mean, I've got the you know feed the wolf idea. tattoo on his arm. Like there, I've got the domain. I've got the, my wolf. I saw your dog too. I got a a yeah, Belgian Malinois. He's sleeping right behind me. <laughs> oh, what a cool dog! Favorite cliche saying? Oh, favorite cliche. Um. It is what it is. Best business advice. Um, ooh, uh, be the best at the, the thing that you enjoy the most. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I don't know why I just thought invisibility. I don't think that's what I'd want. That's a good one, though. Think, and it's good. Uh, teleport. Oh, actually. another good one. One word you wish to be synonymous with your name for the rest of your life. Probably surrender. Oh, that's another good one. Three things you're most grateful for. Or a phrase would be feed the wolf. If I had to pick a, if, that's if I a could good one. Phrase of word. Okay. What was the next one? Sorry. 
What was the next one? Three things you're most grateful for. Breathing. Um, the people in my life. And uh, steak. <laughs> awesome, man. No, uh, no, that's God. good. Oh, your dog? Well, my version of God, whatever that means. Oh, God. Being, not probably a traditional sense of God, but uh, the Norse gods specifically. So, Right on. Where can people go to find out more about you, to get your book, to follow you on social media, to see your funny videos? Where can people go? The book is at persuasionhitman.com. It's free. You just pay shipping, which is like $5.89. Um, if you don't want the book and you just want to read my stuff that I write, you can go to standupconversions.com and put your email in. And then uh, social media, the most stuff I do now is on Instagram, which is at becoming Ian Stanley. And that's where there's all the, there's parody videos and Facebook's where a lot of the parody videos were originally. I also, I am on YouTube, but we're just starting to grow that. So Instagram's where I do stories and fun stuff and all that. Yeah, definitely worth the follow, guys. You have to check out some of Ian's videos. He has hilarious videos. And get his book, Persuasion Hitman, at persuasionhitman.com. This has been an awesome interview. Ian, final question. What does happy hustling mean to you? Uh, doing the thing that you like the most as often as you can while getting as good as it is you possibly can. Good Boom. as you possibly can. Yeah. Boom. Mic chop. Love it, man. Thank you, Ian. This has been a real treat. Awesome, dude. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. I truly am so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day to spend time with me. Now, if you got any value from this episode or any episodes in the past, it would mean the world to me if you could please leave a five-star review and share this episode with your friends so we can continue to spread this message. Guys, as always, it's been a blast. Now go out there and happy hustle for your dream reality. Yeah.